You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Danny Fingeroth, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Venom, Episode 2, Funeral Pyre. And this is covering a period of Venom from 1993. It's actually only a three-issue miniseries by Carl Potts and Tom Lyle and a few different inkers. And with me in this episode is Timothy Yablonski. Hey, Curtis. Thanks for having me on the show. The funny thing, when I put the call out for people who wanted to be a part of these Venom episodes, Tim uh, answered the call. And Tim, you, th- you said, I'm not a big fan of the era or the character, but I'll give this a shot. So <laughs> it's like, well, um, I'm sure we could find a, a better spot for you to fit in. But uh, I guess, yeah, let's give it a shot. But tell me, what is, is it about this era and this character? Just to give us some context. And then I want to see what you thought of this story. Um, what, what about the character in this era is it that it's not your number one favorite part of Marvel? So for me, I um, I started reading comics uh, in the late 80s towards the end of kind of what I consider like you know, a lot of the greats. I, I started at the end of Simonson's Thor, nice. uh, John Burns, Fantastic Four, uh, Roger Stern's Adventure, Avengers. I picked out, I started with Spider-Man uh, right after Roger Stern ended there as well, and Tom DeFalco had taken over uh, along with um, Jim Owsley with uh, the Gang War saga. So I I picked up with the end of the '80s era, which I really liked as a young kid, um, and then I you know went full bore into the '90s um, as a you know young teenager as a kid, and I at the time had to had to get collected all with the um, you know the big boom of the industry, with all the foil covers and and whatnot, and then just you know looking looking back on it as I got older, I just realized that a lot of the stuff in the 90s, especially in the early 90s, as we had the um, image boom, as well as just like, you know, all the special covers and whatnot, just the material wasn't as well written as it had been previously in the 80s. And there's definitely a lot of good concepts and whatnot, but I just, I didn't care for looking back on it now, just my taste changed as I grew up. And I just thought it was a lot of flash, a lot of, um, versus a lot of substance. And yep. with Venom and the Punisher um, for this series, I think they're both, you know, good, interesting characters. But in this time, in this especially at this time uh, in the comic book history, I don't think they were very well serviced, and that kind of definitely uh, colored my colors my appreciation of them even up to today. Fair enough. Yeah, and at this point, Punisher was kind of just ramping up as well. He only had his solo series for. I don't know, maybe five years before this or so. Yeah, and then Venom, he isn't that old either. He only came out a few years before these this solo series also. So they're fairly fairly new in the public eye. Um, but you're right, the writing style and the artwork style does have a very distinctive change once he hit about 1990 or 1991. 
to usher in this new era. And it's reflected here. <laughs> this book is, there's a lot of it that is just so 90s. <laughs> it's it's yes. unreal. Yes, it is. But there are things to like about this story. There are things that I like about it. Uh, there are things that I don't like about it, and we'll get into that as well. But but uh, there's, there's definitely, and if you look for it, even in books like X-Force, which is a lot of people use that as the poster boy for bad 90s comics. Um, it's like that. There, there's actually some good stuff in there too. So I like to be objective on the podcast. I don't want to let my either my love for the era or my, dis, my disdain for the era color the actual content of the book. I want to judge it fairly based on its context. And we'll see where it goes from there. What do you think about that? Oh, definitely. Um, I can I can say um, I yeah you know, we like we just talked about uh, last week. I was had to go through and dig out my the actual issues, and I I kind of remembered. I thought that I I knew I had Lethal Protector at the first series completely, and I thought I, I I didn't quite remember this one until I saw the cover online, and then I realized I'm like I think I bought all three of the issues, and I was yeah. actually able to dig them out dig them out of storage. Uh, surprisingly, and then I I found that I had the uh, the second and third issue of the Madness coming afterwards um, for the miniseries that came out afterwards with the Juggernaut, right. and so I read it, and you know some of my definitely some of my dislikes were uh, reinforced. I was like okay, uh, but at the same time I did find some things that I did appreciate about uh, the series, and I was pleasantly surprised by some of the stuff towards the end which we'll get to when we talk about the issues. Mm -hmm. So overall, I mean, not a bad limited series. I mean, it definitely has its faults, but it definitely wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, which is good. So this is the second Venom miniseries. And uh, if you, in case you didn't listen to the last episode, Lethal Protector was the very beginning of a Venom ongoing series. And what editor Danny Fingeroth wanted to do was to create an ongoing series, but have each story restart at number one so it was essentially an ongoing series of mini series for venom so this is the second mini series starts at number one of course it's only three issues so this is going to be a short episode why don't we just go right into the issues and start with number one do you want to give me a brief recap sure uh so uh issue number one uh so the cover has it um, as in August of 1993. It's a you know foil type cover. It's got the uh, Venom and the Punisher just kind of leaping out of the flames. So uh, material of the, of the uh, issues themselves, the material of the paper is pretty good, and uh, cover is sturdy. So it's uh, kind of what I remember from that era. But it it starts with Venom still out on the West Coast in roughly around the city of Oakland, and he's been staying there after the end of lethal protector, but we don't actually open up with him, but with actually a reporter, um, that we, we eventually learn, uh, who is undercover, um, as a gang member who are known as the Jadus or Jadus. He's gone to try and find an old Hydra base that his, uh, family member of his had, um, served at and to, to, get access to the base, which is now been taken over by the Jadus as their headquarters. He has arranged to be uh, accepted into the gang as an initiate. And he's realizing that in the next couple of nights, he's going to have to commit a murder 
to be accepted fully into the gang or they're going to kill him. And so the comic opens with him, he and his crew, and they've decided to just run down and kill a poor a pair of innocent pedestrians, a, um, an old, older man and, his, and a kid. And uh, Gray takes the opportunity when they're when the when the family is fleeing to tell the kids to uh, take a message to the police to come rescue him from the situation. And so the kid gets away. Gray is able to maintain his cover at the time. And, but the kid, instead of going to the police, because he can't trust the police, uh, instead he goes to uh, into the sewers of Oakland, where Eddie Brock is, and tells Eddie uh, what the problem is. And Eddie, uh, Venom, uh, feels a connection with Gray because, like Gray, Eddie used to be a reporter before he lost everything uh, you know, due to the actions of the evil Spider-Man. And so... Venom is now trying to find the reporter to save him, if he can. And at the same time, um, in Oakland also is the Punisher, who is now re uh, returning to the East Coast after engaging in operations on the West Coast. And he just tends to encounter various gangs in the Oakland area and starts to do his thing. In the course of this, uh, he encounters Venom twice, First time, and they're not, and they don't like each other. Venom tries to warn him off because he says he's trying to save this reporter. The Punisher doesn't really seem to care. And then finally, uh, on their second encounter, uh, the Punisher uses the technology in his battle van, uh, which is one of the a mainstay of the Punisher series at this time, supplied by uh, Micro. And he's actually able to capture Venom uh, in a cage using Sonics from the van, van, and that's where the issue ends. The first thing I want to note here is that uh, this is actually a fairly brutal, violent miniseries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was quite surprised. The, the, the previous one, Lethal Protector, it was written by Michelini and drawn by Mark Bagley. And it has, you know, typical comic book violence. But this one is very different in its tone. Well, and I think this is partly because of Carl Potts, who was regular Punisher writer and editor at the time. Um, yes. But it's it feels way more like Punisher style, um, like '90s Punisher style violence. I was I was actually really surprised with how violent it was, and then I was I was actually very surprised with the the portrayal of the Punisher in this in this miniseries. Okay. Just with um, and it, it comes more out in towards the end when he and Venom are talking at the end after everything's happened, but just he doesn't really care about the reporter at all. And in yeah. other appearances, he might not be like happy about the situation, but he would go he wouldn't ignore someone that's an innocent that's trying that's not a criminal that's trying not to you know try that's literally trying to not be forced to kill someone else you would expect him to try and save this person, and he just doesn't care. Well, I have some comments on that, too. Let's save that for the third issue, since that's when all of that happens. But uh, you're right. Um, Punisher is quite different than the Punisher, I think, that we're used to today, uh, especially with going through the Marvel Max and, and the way that he's treated these days. But he still has this ruthless streak to him. But I found that Punisher really didn't do a whole lot. He, I, I was expecting more of a partnership or him to play a bigger role, but he was kind of treated more of just like an annoyance to Venom 
throughout the entire series. Sure. Yeah, he was definitely more of an, he was an antagonist, definitely. In your recap, you mentioned that Venom is trapped at the very end of this issue with the Punisher's uh, Sonics, which, of course, for some reason, everybody in these comics knows that Venom is vulnerable to fire and Sonics, so they <laughs> use that all the time on him. In the previous miniseries in Lethal Protector, which I, with I, which I just talked about with Adam, we established that the Sonics do hurt the symbiote, but... Eddie himself, you know, can reach through Sonics or he can like the sonic frequencies don't hurt his brain, so he can still he can still function enough to get him out of trouble and out of situations, but here it's very much like they're affecting him also, which is I think more the traditional way like if the symbiote gets hurt, Eddie Brock gets hurt as well. Mm-hmm. So there's just some inconsistencies I think probably because these miniseries were probably being produced roughly at the same time without a lot of communication back and forth. I'm going to, I'm going to go for the no prize here and say that Eddie's starting to get more affected more now because he's continuing to bond with the symbiote. So it's starting to affect him more. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> or, or the, the more likely explanation is like you said, they just, you know, they hadn't fully hashed out how everything was going to work in, since they were, you know, sending these series out so quickly on top of each other with different creative teams. So one of the things about the violence that kind of, uh, it disturbed me a little bit is that all of the members of this gang are drawn very young. Uh, To the point where it seems like they're young teenagers, not even like 18 year olds, but they look like they're 14 or 15. That reporter kid doesn't look like an adult. So, and then they're doing the the thing that they do at the very beginning is just brutal. They they take their car and purposely try and mow down people, and they injure this man. Um, and then they get out of the car and chase him down. And the man tries to get away by you know they chase him up to the roof. He's already injured. He tries to jump, and he falls to his death. And the guys just laugh at him. It's like this is, um, if this were adults doing this, I maybe like I, it would still be quite violent but the fact that they are portrayed so young is it seems quite twisted oh it definitely is when i was reading it i was just kind of thinking back and in, in like in the early 90s there was a lot of coverage on the gang issues especially on the west coast and so it didn't surprise me just thinking back on american history and popular culture pre- presentations and other media just how they were portrayed in these issues mm, yeah the one thing that did surprise me, and, and I would say is like is in one factor is good, is that the uh, the gang is actually made of you know of mixed races, mixed ethnicities, whereas normally you wouldn't see that. But you have you know white Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, which is normally you wouldn't you know especially in popular culture portrayals normally you wouldn't see that because that would be that was one of the characteristics of the of, the, of a gang identity, you know have, being the same, being a brotherhood. Whereas here, it's just, it's a, a mixed crew of everyone's welcome, but we're going to go out and murder and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. And it also, um, the other, and just, and also the way they're acting just kind of made me remember um, just like kind of like urban legends that, you know, kids would talk to each other, like how like there would be, you know, if there's like, you know, a gang would uh, drive around, you know, in the car with their headlights out and, the first car that like flashed their lights at them to let them know they're going to like, you know, 
pull over and like you know do like you know shoot at them yeah and i just felt like it it was a the gang the the gangs here in these in this limited series is like the worst stereotype of the 80s 90s um pop culture about gang um, gangs on the west coast yeah well and in order to like this is a comic book so everybody all of the archetypes are stereotyped and extreme like that's kind of the that's what comics is in a sense so but so i can totally see that now i i was not fully aware of um just that that culture and its place in in kind of uh well in history in 90s history so that's uh that's really good to know it makes more sense that this is here it seems like it's almost like a a little bit of a political statement about the situation going on then or um like Karl Potts is really trying to send a message out there about about the gang situation it's like the gangs are so bad that even Venom is trying to stop this <laughs> you know I I didn't know until I uh read the series again was uh the artist Tom Lyle um recognized his art a little bit just from the the work he did on Amazing Spider and the Spider-Man series of books he uh, apparently is the the artist who designed the uh, Scarlet Spider costume. Oh, okay. Uh, at the beginning of the Clone Saga, and it, once I once I read that, I kind of made a connection. I started to recognize a little bit more of his art from the uh, from the '90s Clone Saga. So this is one of his, I think, earlier works that he did with Marvel. Yeah, he he has a good style. Um, I'm not as keen on the way he draws Venom in a lot of instances. I find that sometimes his Venom is a little skinny maybe i guess not as bulky as usual mm-hmm. it's definitely a different style portraying him yeah yeah uh but i mean it's fine he he is good at uh, telling the action and i really like the way he draws a punisher so he does a good job here yeah. oh yeah let's move on to the second issue it's called high tension and in this one uh so the the reporter his name is gray Finally, he, he's been trying and trying to hold off not killing anybody, but finally he's forced into the situation where he has to, you know, mow down some uh, some some other gang, some members of a rival gang. And this kind of sets off a turf war, or a gang war. A couple of different rival gangs are all now getting together to get revenge or, you know, the, the, the tension is rising. High tension, yeah. And so he is mad at this kid because the kid was supposed to deliver a message and nobody came but what he doesn't know is that venom's really really been trying really hard to get to him and and he's been searching and searching and has had no luck so and so everything comes to a head at the end of this issue because the punisher who wants to stop all this gang violence is going in and venom's closing in and it, it all leads to this hydra base and then gray has discovered the secret uh, secret room in the Hydra base and he hides in this like chamber where apparently they're like experimenting trying to recreate the super soldier serum and he takes a gamble and says whatever powers this thing is going to give me um, it's better than being shot by the Punishers so I'm going to do it and he goes in the machine and then he comes out a little different oh yeah <laughs> so I don't think does he actually name himself he makes reference to Pyre, which is like Pyre's like the the process how you burn bodies in order to prepare them for funerals, right? Mm-hmm. And so he he can shoot microwave blasts. He's got red skin now, and yeah, apparently he's like a wannabe 
or a failed attempt at being cap- uh, recreating Captain America. So in um, issue three, he kind of refers to himself as Pyre when um, when he refers to um, he's like now burned by the Pyre you created, but it, it's not. I don't think it's like the Punisher or Venom names him or refers him refers to him as that right. until they, until after he does. I don't think it actually has a moment where it's like 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 you can call me Pyre. It's just how he's kind of describing the situation. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that we ever really know that at all, except for the cover of issue number three says. Let me see if I can find that here. Oh, actually, on the cover of issue number two, it says "and introducing Pyre." Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's how we know what his name is. There you go. Yeah. The title of issue three is "Feed the Pyre." Yeah. This is his only appearance. Is this miniseries? Until, oh. <laughs> until 2007, when he's briefly mentioned um, in passing in the Civil War battle damage report, when Tony Stark is going over possible recruits for his side of the war. Yep, I found that reference also. Yeah, and so like that's it for this character. He's kind of a cool concept, um, but we don't really find out any more about him. Anyway, do we have anything specifically about this issue that we want to say? Well, I know one thing. I uh, two things um, I, I noticed. Uh, one was I really liked the fact that Venom failed. He completely yep. fails, which I wasn't expecting because my vague memories of this from you know twenty something years ago, twenty almost thirty years ago, was that you know Venom. They were trying to make Venom an antihero, and so I was somewhat expecting him. After, because I remember reading um, Maximum Carnage, you know, he was, you know, trying to be a hero there and, and working with the other heroes and stopping Carnage in his attack on the city. And so I was expecting them to be more of the a successful anti-hero, and he completely failed. And I love that because, you know, Venom is not the most stable of people. And so I thought it was very appropriate that he failed, and it's it also, and that was one of the pleasant surprises for this uh, series for me, was is that they they looked at him and kind of like made the what I kind of thought was the right call on that, like you know he's not a hero, he's not someone that's going to you know dig deep and you know come through in the end, and he actually, despite all his power, he completely fails, as um, Gray has to kill someone and then turn himself into a monster just to survive. And then, um, so that, that was definitely something, you know, of interest to me, I thought was handled well. It was a very surprising turn of events for me. And then the other thing I just noticed just when watching the gang war break out is where are all the civilians and the police? (laughs) This comic book, apparently Oakland is inhabited only by gangs. And so I think that, you know, and the Punisher could have just let them kill each other with, there would have been no civilian casualties. Because it's apparently nothing but blocks upon blocks of gangs. Well, I know there are some pockets of the United States where, like the just the 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 neighborhood is so overrun with crime that the police just don't go in there. Um, and so I, it depends. We don't really get a good picture of how widespread all of this action is. It could be taking place in just a like one or two blocks. And it seems to happen pretty quick as well, so maybe the police don't have time to get there. I know Punisher's like on foot for most of this, and he's going through just like interrogating people, shooting them. Yeah, and it's just again, it's just showing like it's just widespread carnage. Like he's not in the 
you know, in other appearances, he's somewhat more concerned with collateral damage to the civilians around him. He's not trying to kill, you know, innocent people in this crossfire. And we're here. He's right. just like letting loose. I guess because, yeah, there aren't any innocents around here. <laughs> not. Yeah. That's true. Well, this one, this issue was basically just a race against time issue. I really felt um, it, it had a really good sense of um, of urgency, of really like getting to there before anything happens, and like just the tension kept building page after page. And I thought it was well paced and um, and well thought out in that sense. Oh, it definitely it definitely kept kept my interest definitely. What do you think about this Hydra base and the fact that this was a, a super soldier project? I, I love when they use, I'm, I'm a continuity guy. Um, so I love, you know, the fact that they were like, you know, going back into like, you know, the Marvel history and the fact that like Hydra is looking for trying to develop their own type of super soldier and that they, of course they would have with all the various civil wars Hydra's had over the last, you know, over the decades of, um, you know, comic book history that, you know, of course they're going to have, you know, abandoned laboratories um, that people could use to, you know, create, you know, new characters and new, new, with new powers and whatnot. So I thought that was great. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was good too. So, and I'm, I'm a big fan of um, the organizations like Hydra and AIM. I, I, I enjoy the stories that they, they can be used in. Um, so this was, this was fun. So his, his relative is Hydra. I always thought, I always yes. got the impression that Hydra was the kind of organization where like once you have kids they are immediately adopted into hydra and like raised as hydra and and that kind of thing maybe that's a more recent development or maybe i'm just making that up so it's it was i thought that this kid should have actually been hydra himself as well i i would say that's definitely a um an iteration where that's possible they've had so many different cells so it, it's, it's definitely a valid interpretation. Oh, yeah, let's go on to the third issue. Why don't you take us through this one? Sure. So issue three is titled, as I said before, uh, Feed the Pyre. And it opens up with Pyre blaming both Venom and the Punisher for what's happened to him. Uh, he's mad at the Punisher because the Punisher was trying to kill him. He's mad at Venom because Venom didn't get there in time to save him. And so he's... Venom is, you know, he he ended in issue two. He had to deal with Sonics. Now he's dealing with microwaves. So he's just coming right up against both of his weaknesses in this limited series, where it's you know definitely stopping him from being effective. The issue is primarily a in just a battle between the three characters, you know, throughout the entire entire issue, with them trying to stop both of them trying to stop Pyre in their own way and then trying to work together somewhat haphazardly and somewhat unsuccessfully um, until the end when Pyre Venom is uh, able to pull down a um, looks to be like kind of like an HVAC or just like, you know, a large piece of equipment from the ceiling brings it down uh, from the ceiling traps Pyre because it lands on his legs and now he's he rants at Venom. He's like, "You've turned me into a monster. You've crippled me. Can't get much worse." He's like, "Finish me off." And Venom is still trying, trying to save save this kid. And he's like, "Promise not to attack us again, and we will free you." And Pyre's just not having. It. He's like, "I'd rather fry and take you with me." And all the 
the use of his powers has been interacting with the materials of the Hydra base. So like a raging fire is going on, explosions. And so until finally Venom and the Punisher both have to withdraw. And there's no real way for them to save Pyre. And it's, it's left, you're not definitely told that he, he died, but you can certainly have that interpretation. Like he doesn't get rescued. You don't see him escape. And then you finally see um, Venom and Punisher blaming each other for the situation. And Venom pretty much telling, blaming the Punisher, saying that his psychotic obsession delayed them from rescuing the young man in time. And the Punisher's pretty much just full on saying he was never innocent or he would never have killed. It would have been better if I killed him before he shot anyone or turned into that pyre creature. Yeah. So, and then the only only thing that stops Venom and the Punisher from... Uh, starting back up again with each other is the police are finally arriving. Um, in which case they decide that they're both going to, um, you know, depart the area. And then it, the issue ends with just a caption uh, showing the fire and you hear uh, Pyre laughing and coughing still within in the fire. You don't know if he's escaped or not. What I love about this issue and about Venom and his kind of his ongoing story here is that Pyre is in the same position that Venom was with Spider-Man. You know, trying to do the right thing, but then forced into a bad situation and blames the the hero for the way he's come out of it. Um, and that's exactly what Venom did to Spider-Man, and now the tables are turned. So I think that's really cool to have... Venom experience that whether he realizes that that's the experience or not I don't know but um, I thought it was a really nice touch oh definitely I, I definitely I, I noticed that as well like I said you know Venom has completely failed and he is definitely as you said experience, even if he doesn't realize it he's experiencing that where Pyre is blaming him for everything in his life never mind the fact that it was Ray's choice to go undercover in the gang and stay there. Yep. Now, Punisher doesn't talk a lot in this in this miniseries. In fact, he barely says anything. He and Venom only have two conversations. And one of the conversations, um, or actually, I guess maybe three conversations. There's one at the beginning when they first meet, one in the middle when they're trying to find, trying to, they're in the middle of the gang war, and then one at the end when they're wrapping things up. And each one of those times, Venom tries to convince Punisher that they're kind of on the same side, and Venom, or, and Punisher just keeps on saying, no, you're a psycho. <laughs> you're, yep. um, it, it's, it's really, I found this to be a really good character development issue or miniseries for Venom, because up until this point, uh, Venom in the Spider-Man comics has been very one-dimensional. It's all, I blame Spider-Man, I want to eat his brains kind of Venom, and not much more to him than that. And in Lethal Protector, the miniseries before this, we got a lot of the backstory to Venom, uh, to, 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 sorry, to Eddie Brock, to find out how he became the way he is just personally because of his upbringing. But this is the issue. This is the story where I think he realizes what it means to be um, to be a hero rather than a villain. Um, just because of he's actually going out of his way to try and help someone who doesn't even know that he he's trying to help them. 
so now I, I agree with some of that, Curtis, but I kind of had more of a different take on it as far as for his personal growth there. Okay. I didn't really view it as personal growth for him as more just kind of him falling back on his obsessions. And I think the only and the only reason that he really goes out of his way to help to try get involved at all is because he just feels the connection because Gray is a reporter and he was a reporter. And so I think it's he wants to save him because he he felt that he wasn't saved. You know, no one saved him. Okay, I see. Yeah, I, yeah, I can I can see that. And that ties into the whole um, flipping the story on his head that we were talking about just a moment ago. But one one of the things, like I said, I was um, you know, like as I've talked before, I was like, you know, I was definitely surprised how you know the fact that he failed. I I was really I thought that was a a pretty cool choice they made for this. Um, and it actually I actually liked. Yeah, you know, how Venom was portrayed in this. So my view, I love Venom when he first was introduced in Spider-Man 300. I thought he had like you know he was showing up like you were saying um, during the Venom episode. Like he'd show up like once a year, every other, you know, eighteen a year and a half. Puts push Spidey to his limits. So he can barely stop him. And each time you're like you just kind of like wondering like you know is he going to get him this time? But I thought the the problem with him was eventually you've got to have Eddie has to either be kind of taken out of the picture or he's got to accept his own responsibility for like for his own choices. And I don't now grant, I haven't read all of his appearances, but I never really got the impression that they were ever going to like get him to that point. And so you kind of, I kind of felt like he was like great villain, but eventually he either had to, they had to find a new host for him because Eddie could only go so far. And so I, I really liked it when um, in the 2000s when the symbiote started moving to different hosts. Right. And you got, and I loved how they used him with like, you know, I liked you know, him going to with, you know, Mac Gargan and then Flash Thompson. And then even back, you know, back to Eddie, still not my favorite host, um, depending on like, how, how they portray him. Yeah, you know, it's continuing to try and make him the anti-hero even still today. But I've liked the some of the journey he's gone on, uh, especially the symbiote side and just like different experiences they've had. But I think Eddie, unfortunately, they they kind of made somewhat they've kind of pigeonholed him into like he hates Spider-Man, he hates Spider-Man, but he doesn't really. They have a hard time having him have any other like goals or desires. Later on, as they continue in the future. Um, he ends up having to come up with another reason why he hates Spider-Man for something else, not necessarily for ruining his reporter career, but you know his his ex-wife or uh, fiance, you know, dies, and he blames her for blames Spider-Man for changing, making her think lessly of poorly of him uh, because of the choices he made as Venom. So I just I just I don't like them trying to make him into a hero because I think he it's just that's not his character at all. Um, but I think he's just a, he's a challenging character to have as a villain just because he, he's so driven and determined just to like, you know, I've got to make Spider-Man pay. Like he doesn't seem to have any other ambitions. So what, while I, while you're talking, I'm thinking about the other appearances he does in this mini series or in this ongoing series of mini series. And he definitely is out of place in this mini series. He shouldn't be involved in gang wars that's not what we think of when we think of venom and all of the other miniseries that come after this we're talking about like the madness he fights the juggernaut and after that in enemy within he fights 
Morbius and Demo Goblin. Like these are more, this is more Venom stuff right there. Dealing okay. with more of the supernatural side or just like some, let's get some laser guns instead of handguns. Like that's, this is more of Venom's world and placing them him so grounded in something so focused in real world events. Um, Punisher fits, but Venom seems a little out of place. Sure. Um, overall, I enjoyed the story. I thought it uh, had some good themes and good messages. And uh, like I said, I, I like the character of, of Pyre and how Venom kind of worked his way through uh, this this miniseries. But, uh, oh, I agree. I agree. It was definitely, I enjoyed this a lot more than I was expecting to. That's great. And just, you know, I was surprised by the um, what they had. I liked how they approached Venom's motivation in the beginning. You know, he's a reporter. I've got to save him because we were a reporter. And then I just love the fact that he actually failed and wasn't what I was expecting. So it was a, you know, a very um, surprising ending for me, but one I really appreciated when I read it. Something I wasn't expecting them to with the route they were going. So it's always fun to be surprised. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Well, one last thing that I wanted to mention that I forgot I was going to do this in the second issue is that I really like the, the use of the text boxes uh, in this one because we have the internal narration from the Punisher and internal narration from Venom and they're both done in different the boxes are different colors and in fact Punisher even uses a typewriter font like he's typing in his war journal or something like that uh, mm -hmm. so I, I just to differentiate whose voice we're listening to so I thought it's an, always a nice touch when they do things like that I am a fan of the thought bubble <laughs> And the you know the character narration. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that does it for this episode. Thank you very much, Tim, for joining us, and it was uh, it was a blast talking t to you about '90s Venom. I appreciate appreciate the uh, invite, Chris. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and we'll have to see if we can get you back on the show at some point. Awesome. <laughs>